0: The defense of the gospel, and uh, Paul had an unwavering challenge at Jerusalem, which was the center of Jewish Christianity, and uh, many times, you know, we might think, well, Jesus Christ has now passed off the scene, he's ascended into heaven, the apostles are there, everything is going well, everything is nice and hunky-dory, right? Well, that's not the case. And uh, there's still some of the same challenges that we're facing today today. Uh, they faced at that time. And so the focal center of interest for the Apostle Paul uh, are, you know, part of Paul's letters are Jerusalem and Antioch. And this is where the centers really of Jewish and and Gentile Christianity Christianity are, respectively, and, and Jewish and Gentile Christianity, excuse me. And uh, Paul, in both of these places, both there in Jerusalem and uh, Judah, as well as in Antioch, in the Gentile world, he deals with Judaizers, and he has to confront them head on. And these these are the individuals that are seeking to take Christianity and make it where you have to follow all of these rules in order to merit or gain the attention of God. And hopefully, uh, if you follow their rules, as they would state, then you will gain heaven. That's what they're stating. And so the Apostle Paul is hitting this head on. So we're going to look at Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5 this evening. And to verse 1 of Galatians chapter 2, Then fourteen years after, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also. And I went up by revelation, and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach unto the Gentiles. But privately to them, which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run, or had run, in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a, group, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because of false brethren, unawares, brought in, who came in privily to spy on our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And, uh, you know, what's going on here in the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia, this whole region, Here are the Judaizers, those people who are putting all of these religious uh, works to the gospel. They are seeking to make Jerusalem the mother church, Peter the Pope of Christianity. Does that not sound familiar with what we see in our day today? They sought to make Gentile Christians second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. So it's this whole thing of one person being better than another in this whole hierarchy. Peter is the top. Jerusalem church is the mother church of all churches. And we have that same thing today. And we find that there in uh, the the Roman Catholic uh, system. But this is what Apostle Paul was dealing with. And so sometimes we think, well, the Bible is outdated. No, it's not. The things that we're facing today, many times over... Culture's a little bit different, but the problems are still present with us. And so with these ideas, let us go to the Lord and ask for his blessing upon this time. And we'll look at the defense of the gospel. As Paul is a bold witness, and a an ap- apologist for the word of God and the truths of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his blessings. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you and I thank you for uh, the fact that You've made the gospel simple. Uh, Lord, it doesn't need to be held in the minds of those or some academic elites. But Father, even as a little child, can accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Father, it doesn't take somebody who has reformed their life. No, Lord, you take us where we're at. You forgive us. And you work through us so we'd be transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for being our precious Savior. Lord, I pray tonight as I preach your word that it would be clear, it would be concise, it would be understandable, it would be accurate, precise, and so God, you take over. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Apostle Paul here, as he starts this off, he really starts this section off by confrontation with the Jerusalem church and... The Galatian converts, as he spells out for them, have become living proof of his fears. The fears of the Judaizers who are trying to say, you need to uh, be circumcised like the Jews. You need to follow the Jewish calendar, the Sabbath, and all of these other Jewish rituals that we find in the Old Testament. And here's the test. You know, he says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. So there's some time that's elapsed. And uh, the word can then, you know, in, in this idea, he, here he goes and he faces this head on. You know, the book of Acts records two visits of Paul to Jerusalem uh, in company with his friend and colleague Barnabas. And uh, he says, again, to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is a very interesting character. Now, speaking of Paul's visits to Jerusalem, the first was in famine relief. You find that in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, as well as verse, chapter 12, verse 25. And the second was in connection with the Jerusalem conference, which was convened, and really upon the questioning uh, of imposing Judaism on Gentile Christians, Acts 15. And uh, the incident here really seems to be connected with the first of these visits, famine relief. Now, there's a famine and there's a lot of problems in Jerusalem. Now, I remember the Apostle Paul was responsible for some of these problems, specifically within the church. And, uh, but we note Paul's companions here. The first of all, we note Barnabas. And uh, Barnabas was an incredible man. They take with him Titus too. And, uh, but Barnabas was a thoroughly likable man. I mean, he's just a guy that's there as an encourager. He's, uh, you know, (laughs) other men would die for Barnabas. Barnabas is just an encourager. He wants to be there to help you on your journey for Christ. And You know, sometimes you get really... uh, and discourage, and, and you need someone there to help kind of encourage you. And other times, you know, maybe give you a kick in the pants, but they can do it softly, right? That somehow kick in the pants can be somewhat uh, of a way where you're like, okay, they just reamed me out, but I didn't quite realize it, uh, how soft they were in their verbiage. But yet they told me uh, a direction I needed to do. And, um, you know, in Romans chapter 5, verse 7, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. And Barnabas is one of those such men. And, uh, you know, uh, he notes him in Acts chapter 11, a good man and full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. Barnabas, he was a Levite, but Barnabas was a man that just loved God. And Barnabas was also one of those men, remember on the Damascus journey, the Apostle Paul, he's going on the Damascus road and he's blinded as he sees the, uh, the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he's blinded, and he comes to Jerusalem, he comes here, and Barnabas is the first one of the first men, that Barnabas takes Paul as one of the first men to meet him. Even though Paul had just recently been one of the fiercest persecutors and vilest men against the churches. And he was noted as being a son of consolation, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, and Josephus, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, Josephus. He is also this very idea of Barnabas as a comforter. You know, some people have personalities where some are just tend to be a little bit more comforting, encouraging, and Others might maybe be more like the Apostle Paul, a little bit more abrasive. But God uses our personalities and to work on us. And and here is Barnabas, a Cyprian Jew. He sold his property that he possessed on the island of Cyprus, and he put his proceeds at the feet of the apostles. Barnabas was all in for Christ. And he, Barnabas, is the one to introduce Paul at a time when everyone else is like, I don't know about this. I think Apostle Paul's a spy. Uh, Paul is one of those people trying to work his way in and destroy all of us upon this supposed conversion. But Barnabas takes him by faith and by as God leads him and says, no, Paul's, Paul's changed man. It's sometimes those individuals in our lives that uh, wherein God brings across our paths, people... You might think, well, I don't know about them. God brings along a Barnabas. Someone that, you know, we might have quite a few rough edges, and God brings along a Barnabas to encourage us. Say, hey, let's get right with Christ. I'll walk with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'll be here for you. And Paul was an extraordinary person. and God used Paul mightily, but Paul got to meet a lot of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem and the leaders of the churches all throughout that region. And it started with a man named Barnabas. Here's another thing. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, It takes more grace than I can tell to play the second fiddle well. Barnabas knew nothing of jealousy. Barnabas has been saved longer than the Apostle Paul. And yet... Paul was a leader and Barnabas was a follower. Barnabas wasn't like, well, I've been saved longer, Paul. You should listen to me. No, he understood the authority that God had given. Barnabas could have been jealous of what God had put upon Paul to do, but he wasn't that way. He was okay to be, as you would say, an assistant. Together, Paul and Barnabas pioneered and suffered in triumph in Cyprus and Galatia, the churches here. Barnabas was a good, godly, gracious, compassionate, gifted man. Barnabas is not the kind of man who would deliberately force a fight. Barnabas is a softer type and sometimes probably a little bit adverse to fights and, and conflicts. And Well, let's see if we can't work out a way to not have conflict. That's not Paul. <laughs> Paul's like, hey, there's a problem. Let's deal with it. Let's let's smack it down. Let's go right after it. And this is Paul. And there's something that is invading the churches of Galatia. And Paul sees it and he says, I've got to do something. And words were cheap, especially when the Gentiles were around clamoring for reception to the Jerusalem church. And you know, it'd be very well for people to give lip service to the Jerusalem church. But what has happened is these Judaizers are little by little, they're infiltrating into these churches their insidious, cancerous doctrine, their beliefs. And they're trying to put people into bondage, into a religious system to shackle them under the yoke of these leaders. Titus is a full-fledged, full-blooded Gentile. comes seems to have come from Antioch. He was a Greek a convert from heathenism, and this, gen- this uh, gen- uh, gentleman, Professor Ramsey, believed that Titus was Luke's brother and that the absence of his name from the book of Acts was in keeping with Luke's determination to keep his own name out of that narrative. Pa- Paul later used Titus as his personal envoy in his difficult and delicate negotiations with the Corinthian church. He is mentioned twice here in Galatians, nine times in 2 Corinthians and once in 2 Timothy, as well, of course, as the pastoral letter that Paul sent to him, and that bears his name. And what happens, what is the truth that Paul is so adamantly against? Has there ever been something in your life, and maybe it's entered into a friend or a close person to you, and it's entered in, and you're like, it is awful. I mean, it's just destructive. That very thing, or so hurtful, or there's something coming in. I mean, it is like if, if you were to have a uh, mice, if you were to, you know, maybe let snakes into your house, you would do all you could to keep the snakes out of your house. Or rodents, or I mean, you're going to try to do, I, I hate rodents. I mean, I hate them. I, I hate them. I don't like rodents and you know i'm going to do all i can to kill them to eradicate them to get rid of them i can't stand rodents i mean I, it's just one of those things i don't want it in verse 2 here in paul says i went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel a very specific that gospel He doesn't say a gospel in some pluralistic type fashion. That gospel. If my wife tells me to go to the store and she says, I want you to get Heinz 57 ketchup. She's not telling me to get Compliments brand. She's not telling me to get Hunt's brand or any other brand. She tells me to get Heinz 57. When it comes to to barbecue sauce, she likes Sweet Baby Ray's. Honey barbecue sauce. That's the kind she likes. She doesn't want any barbecue sauce. She wants the sweet baby rays. There's that, that barbecue sauce. It's, it's, It's a very specific thing. He also says here, I went up by revelation that God communicated to him a need to go because there are some destructive things going on in the life of another. If you have a friend of yours, and your friend is is soon to be in imminent danger, would you not go or communicate if you're too far to reach them? Somehow you would do what you could within all of your means to help that friend who's in imminent danger. And the Apostle Paul says these churches are about ready to be destroyed by wrong doctrine. Wrong beliefs. Because a wrong belief leads to wrong actions. What you believe is what you act out. And now, in this very same thing, here he, he goes up to Jerusalem, and Barnabas is going up to Jerusalem, and Paul was eager to go, but he had been warned of God to leave, Acts 22. He had received clear, now received clear guidance from God that he should go. And now, if he, Paul does not go and leave, there's going to be two churches that are established. There's going to be the Jerusalem Jewish church, and there's going to be a Gentile church. There's two separate churches if he doesn't go. Because these Judaizers are infiltrating in a very subtle way. Understand this, that false doctrine comes many times in the flavor of a lollipop, something sweet. Why is it that when someone is trying to lure a kid, they'll use a lollipop, something sweet, something seemingly innocent? And these false believers, they want to just tangle their web to ensnare these people in a belief that will destroy these churches. And Paul says, I can't let that happen. You know, the fact is, this is something foreign to the mind of the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter two verses eleven through sixteen and things are coming to a head. In Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven. And wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands Ephesians two twelve. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's saying Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people. So all non-Jewish people in the Bible are called Gentiles. So we're most of us would be Gentiles. And this very thing here, he says, listen, the covenants, the promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all of that stuff, that's all foreign to a Gentile world. I carry on. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. He says, Listen, I don't care who you are, if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, listen, we've all come together as one by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Gentiles were far off, they were without the faith of Christ, they were without God. And that blood of Jesus Christ unites them. For he is our peace, verse 14 of Ephesians 2, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. I had the idea there in the temple having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. This very idea, the law of commandments, this abolished in his flesh, the enmity, the, uh, the, the wages, the, the judgment that was against me, that it was against you, or against the world, the judgment that's against me. For to make in Jesus of twain one new man, that Jesus brings reconciliation and peace as you accept Jesus Christ, his death barrel, his blood on that cross. In verse 16, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. He's saying, listen, I want you to know here that this you can be one. And so all of these churches, the churches of Galatia, will all be disrupted from a singular focus, a singular doctrine, if these Judaizers come in. And so he's forcing the issue and to fight for Gentile independence from Judaism and the Mosaic law. Now, I'm not going to get into this, but I'm just going to say this very shortly as a short rabbit trail, but it, it applies the, the Mosaic law, Moses' law, was only there to show us that we're sinners. The Ten Commandments, all they do is whenever I breach one of those commandments, I'm like, oh, I'm a sinner. That's all it does. It shows us that I'm guilty. The law today of the land here, when I break a law... It only says, if you break a law, here's the consequences. That's all it does. The law was to show Israel, hey, you're not good enough. You need to put your faith in God. And those sacrifices continually reminded them that we're sinners and we need God. But it was their faith that that put them right with God. And he says here, coming back to Ephesians 2, Paul's gospel, he says that gospel And so what he does, the Apostle Paul does something amazing here. He goes up to Jerusalem, and rather than meeting with all of the Jerusalem church, you know, sometimes if you try to have a large group of people together, and uh, say, for instance, I were to present an idea. Now, the larger the group, the the more ideas you get, the more non-consensus you can oftentimes get. So he goes and he, especially if if some people are given to uh, some ideologies more than others, you're going to get a lot of, you know, pushback and other things. So he goes and he sits down, he sits down with the leaders there in the Jerusalem church, the apostle Peter and John and these guys, to pray, meditate, and wait upon the Holy Spirit, reason, discuss, and Disagree. A mob is easily swayed by emotion rather than reason. So he sits down with these men. And uh, now Paul <laughs> has dealt with mobs before, many a time over. But he spo- sought to be res- with these men, responsible brethren, to talk about what is infiltrating these baby churches. And baby in the fact that they're new, they're young. Paul didn't come to learn the gospel from these men, but to reiterate what is the gospel. And and he would even say here, in verse 11, let me just give you this real quick. Verse 11 of Galatians 2, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I would stood him to the face because he was to be lamed. What's happening here? is there's preferential treatment given to the Jewish people and these Judaizers with false doctrine. So when it's all Gentiles, Peter and John and all these apostles, they're all good with the Gentile believers. Oh yeah, Jesus is the only way. But when these Judaizers who come maybe more academic, maybe they have some money, I don't know. But they come with a different doctrine, and Peter and some of these others, they're siding with the Judaizers, sitting at tables with them, while condemning the Gentiles. There's a rift going on, and Paul's like, this can't happen. I mean, if you have a hockey team and the coach is saying one thing and the captain of the team, one of the players, is saying something else, it's going to make a very tense environment. If the captain is telling the players to do one thing and the coach says do something else, you're going to have a lot of disagreement. That locker room will not be a place of peace. It's not going to be a fine working machine. And so Paul has to deal with it. And his authority, Paul has to say, this is truth. They have to come to the conclusion, it's that gospel, it's a specific gospel, it's a specific doctrine. It's not, well, that's your interpretation and this is my interpretation. Truth is truth. Truth. It doesn't alter the circumstances. It's not relative idea. Two plus two equals four. Now, I could tell you two plus two equals one. Now, if it comes to a paycheck, and I was to say, you worked two days and another two days, but I'm only going to pay you one day. You don't like that kind of math. That's not real math. The truth is, you worked four days total, and you need to be paid for four days. Truth is truth. It doesn't matter how mad the the boss might say, I'm only paying you one day. Well, okay, but my two days and my two days, I don't get my four days' pay. You're you're depriving me. The Apostle Paul also says here in verse 2, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He says, listen. So Paul privately meets with these who are of reputation there in the Jerusalem church. As I said, he doesn't want a whole mob to just be led by emotions. Well, I like so-and-so, and you know what? That many times can distort our beliefs. Well, I like them. But truth doesn't change based upon who you like. Truth is truth. And the fact is, Paul says, listen, I don't want to be running in vain. You know, if, if it's a whole lot easier if that team of hockey, as I mentioned, the coach and the captain, all the players are on the same page. We're going to follow this plan. We're going to follow this regiment. We're going to move, you know, whatever the direction, but they're all moving together as a team. And Paul is concerned that these Judaizers will render the labors null and void. Have you ever had someone when you're working come behind you and then just kind of disrupt what you're doing and you're like... Or have a sibling when you're growing up. Have you ever had a sibling or someone come behind you you just clean something? Like you cleaned the counter or you cleaned all the dishes or you, did, you cleaned your car, what have you. And then someone comes behind you and they mess it all up. And you're like... I just spent hours, or I've spent a long time cleaning, and you just messed it all up. That's what Paul's saying. He said, "I've worked so hard. And I want to make sure that these people that I'm ministering to, that they don't take away our liberty in Christ to bring people into bondage. Religion and all of the rules and trappings of it, it brings bondage. Because you're hoping you've done enough. You're hoping you've said the right thing. You're hoping that you, uh, that you exerted enough effort. You're hoping. But to just hope and not to know, man, that is an awful place to be. And Paul, with these leaders here, it's a critical situation. Unless the Jerusalem leaders would also get behind him and say, these are false brethren. They call themselves Christians. Just as many groups today will call themselves Christians. When in fact what would happen, it would deny the great truth of the oneness of the family of God and would lead to denominationalism of the very worst kind. Denominationalism And this whole idea of all these different denominations is a work of Satan. Because the Bible gives us truth. It's not our interpretation. It's not your interpretation and my interpretation. Truth is truth. If I go to the chip aisle, variety is good. But if there's a particular uh, course, say for instance there's a a cure for cancer and it's only one way, it's only one way. The gospel, getting to heaven, is one way. Jesus said, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty singular. That's pretty narrow-minded. But that narrowness is a gift. Denominationalism, the only reason why there's varieties is because there's different doctrine. These legalists that are here are seeking to take people from simple faith in Christ and make it legalism. What do I mean by legalism? A lot of times they say, oh, you're a legalist, you're a legalist. No, 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 no. Legalism is wherein I'm adding to the gospel, adding to the gift of Jesus, and saying, oh, if you want Jesus, yes, you have to ask him as your Savior, Uh, you have to repent of your sins, but you can lose your salvation. Oh, and if you're not good enough, then you'll lose your salvation. That would be the same as if I was to give you a gift and then you were mean to me later on. Give me that gift back. That's even worse, what this legalism done. But legalism, it's saying there's a price to the gift I gave you. Well, that's not a gift. That's a debt. Because if the gift has any prerequisite has any thing attached to it that you must do then it's a debt it's not a gift and this is what paul is so so fired up about there's a passion And here, Peter, John, James, the Lord's brother, are showing a preferential treatment to the very people, men and maybe women, I don't know, but whoever these false brethren are, who are very sneakily, that's not even a word, but very deceptively coming into the churches, and they're becoming buddy-buddy, and they're distorting people's beliefs on the very thing that determines where people go to for eternity. That's a pretty important thing. And you deviate from this, and Paul's saying, this can't happen. I mean, he could have potentially had Paul, probably wasn't too popular, because he comes into a church, these churches, and potentially he says, James, they're in aisle number three. False brother, you're bringing in. I mean, Paul named people by name. <laughs> and I'm not saying this, this rudeness, but he's saying, listen, doctrine matters. Because if your doctrine is wrong, your beliefs are wrong, you won't get to the destination you want to get to. They would be urged, these people, these Judaizers are saying, You must accept Jesus, but you also must be circumcised. You must accept Jesus, but you must see. I mean, Abraham was circumcised. Genesis chapter 17. Every man, child among you shall be circumcised. Genesis 17, 10. And it tells us on the eighth day. And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. But these Judaizers aren't making a distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's a whole lot behind this, and I'm not going into that tonight, but all of these things relate to the Jewish people and the land of Israel. Paul is tireless in his zeal and persistence. And the fellowship here, the prejudice, you find in verse 3 of Galatians 2, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. He says, listen, Titus, he's not circumcised. He doesn't need to be. He's accepted Christ And then Paul makes an unbelievably, notice with me what he says, in verse 4, and that because of false brethren, he's saying all these other wide beliefs, false brethren. He says that gospel, very specific, and false brethren, very embracing. the fact of all that's going on here really was a complete victory for the Lord Jesus Christ as Paul faces his foes. Their mask is revealed. Have you ever had, you know, it's kind of like Jesus Christ there at the Last Supper. He's saying, he who dips his hand with me is the one who's going to betray me. I mean, Jesus calls out Judas. Now, the rest of the disciples didn't understand it, but he still called them out. He's calling out because if there is in a group, for instance, you're at work and you're working amongst a group of people and one of those persons or several of those persons in your team at work are very caustic, they're toxic and the boss comes to these individuals and says, listen, you must stop your caustic, toxic discussions here. I don't want you sowing discord and disunity in this workplace. It's not helping our productivity. That would be warranted. Because a lack of productivity is a lack of profit, which ultimately affects the bottom line, the bottom dollar. It affects it. And Paul would face many perils among false brethren, as 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 tells us. Pseudo-Christians. Paul and Jesus, they didn't mince any words. John the Baptist didn't mince any words. I mean, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the lawyers there at the time, he just says, you know, they call them hypocrites, vipers. I mean, Paul calls them out false. Brethren, he says, you're fake. I don't care if you have the name Christian. I don't care what the world calls Christian on this very large, wide umbrella. Seventh-day Adventists, Roman Catholics, Jehovah's Witnesses, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. Mormons, uh, all sorts of things, call them out as false Brethren. False beliefs. Unawares. Have you ever had someone maybe come into your friendship circle? And after a while, you realize that person's not who they really put on that they are. And then when they reveal their true colors, you're like, oh my. How was I deceived? How did I not see this? Unawares brought in, he's saying. I mean, they're like smuggled in. They worm their way in. I mean, they're smooth talkers. They came in privily, privately, underhandedly. They work their way into your life, in your friendship, in your circles. and And They spy out the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And the fact is, we have liberty in Christ. We're not in bondage. I don't have to follow some advent calendar, I don't have to follow all these feasts and holidays to somehow merit enough goodness before God to to be able to approach him. That's not what I have to do, nor do you. You know, in the fact here to spy out, in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 3, I want to kind of just read this for you. And the princes of the children of Ammon said unto Hanan their lord, thinkest thou that David doth honor thy father that he hath sent comforters unto thee. So this guy Hanan, his dad Ammon, died. And so David was friends with Ammon, so he sends these, his, his servants to Hanan, the son, who's now taking over here. And to console the son and to give him gifts. Well, the counselors of the new king, the son, they said, ah, ah, You better be careful, Hannah. David's men are coming to spy out this land. They want to destroy us and look at everything. And so what do they do? They cut the men's beards off. They cut the coattails up to their buttocks. And they send these men out in shame. And war breaks out. A false belief created a lot of conflict. These men have infiltrated... By them which were of the circumcision. Well, we are circumcised Jews. We're right with God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 12, For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. James was partial. If he's just with Gentiles, he's all good. But if Jews come in, He has an affinity. He has a draw to be with the Jews and reject the Gentiles. You know, that's pretty hurtful. If someone's friends with you, but then someone else comes on the scene, and man, you're just like dog meat. That's a pretty bad place to be. And Paul's calling out, he says, this ought not to be. In Acts 15, 5, But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them, and to command them to keep the law of Moses. That is religious bondage. And this is what Paul is saying, I don't want any of it in these churches. These are baby believers. I don't want to try to tie them up with rules and regulations. And the sole purpose of these people was to take away the freedom that we have in Christ and exchange it for bondage. But these false brethren, they underestimated Paul. Paul's coming in two guns a and he's going to make things right. And My friend, we cannot compromise with false belief. If Paul was adamant against it, if Jesus was adamant against it, John the Baptist was adamant against it, Jesus, our example, I think we ought to stick with him. Because at the end of the day, He's the one that determines my destiny on what I have done with Jesus. I want to ask you tonight, as you think upon these truths, how important is it to have right doctrine? How important is the gospel? Is it just, well, that's your interpretation, this is my interpretation? We could all be right, all paths lead to Jesus. But if Jesus says, I am the way, it's either Jesus' way Or any other way. But you can't have both. And the Bible's very clear. It's only Jesus. And so as a Christian, I need to stand. Not upon some denominational ties, but I need to stand upon the very Word of God. This is what I believe. This is truth. I'm not compromising. And as a Christian, we ought not to compromise, because a compromise could very well lead someone to not get to the destination of heaven. I think that's pretty important. So as you think upon these truths tonight, number one, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Is there a time in your life you've realized that you are a sinner, you deserve hell, you're not good before the Lord? And and then you've come and you've asked him, Lord, please forgive me my sins. Please be my Savior. And you've recognized your condition as a lost sinner headed for hell. And in simple faith, you just ask him to forgive you. You receive the gift by faith. And if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter the associations. If someone wants to come in and bring in a false doctrine into this church, and they try to perpetuate, and they try to teach false doctrine to others, we can't let it happen. We've got to stop it. Because a a cancer of false doctrine will lead you to the wrong destination at the end. That's pretty important. Christian, let's stand upon the truth of what God says. If I could have Mrs. Pat come forward, we'll time, time an invitation tonight. I know I don't normally do this. I appreciate... You're helping. But as you think upon this, the defense of the Gospel, false doctrine comes in so smoothly. It comes in sweetly. And that's why we as believers, we must filter everything through this book. This is God's Word. It's not some tradition. It's what God says. And I trust that we as Christians would stand firm, boldly, unabashedly upon God's preserved word. Amen. And if you don't know Christ, tonight is a wonderful time to accept him. As the music plays, I trust that you would just pray and talk with God however he's spoken to your heart tonight. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's never a time. You just simply realized the gift is Jesus. And your condition is sinner, lost, separated from God. You'll just take him by faith. Say, God, forgive me. I know I'm I know I'm judged. I know I don't deserve it. Would you forgive me and be my Savior? And my friend, if that's the condition of your heart, he'll forgive you. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done, he'll forgive you. And God will take from the vilest and he'll make us a child of his, a child of the King of Kings. Christian, the destination, it matters. The belief's, we have, will determine our destination. As you sit there quietly and pray, I trust that you would just resolve, Lord, help me when you, the truth of God, the truth of his word, that I wouldn't compromise, that I'd live fully surrendered to the truth of his word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this evening. Father, I want to thank you for being our precious Savior. And God, I know it was a little bit more of a difficult and challenging, maybe potentially tonight, that something that might seem so narrow-minded. But Father, it's hard to sometimes hold positions of disagreement with others and to not be liked. Lord, sometimes it's difficult to stand our ground when it's the unpopular thing to do. But Father, there is a need for men and women who are believers in Jesus Christ who would say, by faith in Christ alone, not baptism, not good works, not confession, not the sacraments, not anything else, not even losing your salvation. It is only the gift of Jesus by faith wherein I am forgiven by God and made a child of the King. or may we stand upon that. May we not deviate. May doctrine matter to us of how we live out the very beliefs that are cemented in our heart. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the grace of your word. God, I thank you for giving us truth. Lord, I thank you for the absolute truth of your word. Lord, it is objective truth. It's not subjective or relative, but it's objective. Irrespective of circumstances or time, it's always been by faith. And so, Lord, as our precious Savior, I thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name I pray.